the Fox show, um, you're listening, you're tuning in in your car somewhere, you're watching, you're wondering who are these guys, you know, I stumbled on, Christopher Walken's on the show, I'm not sure, is he? Maybe. <laughs> Fuck yes, this is Connor Falk, and you're on the What the Falk Show. You're listening to this show through iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Now, each week, you know what you get on this show. You get me falcon talking to people, falcon talking about many different falcon things, and using the word falcon, falcon in many different ways. This week, my guest is a comedian, Natasha Pearl Henson. Now, if you're in LA or any uh, comedy fan around the world, you know Natasha from playing at the Comedy Store, from the Laugh Factory, to many different places here in Los Angeles. You've seen her on TV. She's been on VH1, MTV, NBC, many different venues, many different avenues. She studied at Second City in Chicago. She's incredibly pretty. She's She's incredibly funny, and she's very entertaining. I'm excited to have her on the show. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. I also appreciate you taking the time to realize that we have the best sponsor of this show, Ferris Pizza. Ferris Pizza is the best sponsor, the best food, the best pizza you can get in Bakersfield, California. It's the best pizza for the best price with the most love in it. Let's go ahead and call Natasha and get this interview started. Hello? Hi, is this Natasha Pearl Henson? This is. How the fuck are you? This is Connor Falk, and this is the What the Fuck Show. I'm excited to have you on. Yeah. Uh, pr- pretty good, pretty good. It's a little hot today, though, isn't it? It's a little hot in LA. Here we got in April, and already getting all uh, hot and weathery. It is. It is hot. And then I, so I drove to the most overcast part of LA today, uh, the beach, and sat there. <laughs> so, so you tried to get some sun, and the most over uh, overcasted, less sunless part of LA was the beach today. So that's funny. There's there, there's some irony for you. Exactly, there's some irony for you. And I appreciate you having on the show, Natasha. As I said earlier, you're a stand-up comedian here in Los Angeles. You've worked in many different venues. You have some great education with Second City, so I'm really excited to have listeners hear your point of view and your insight in the world of comedy. So if you're ready, I'll start with question one, which is, you know, I'll try to make it all like uh, Dan Rather and super cool, and that's, so when did you okay. love, when did your love and mind for comedy take shape? Okay, so that basically started, um, it's funny, I just got done talking with somebody about this, but I was in a speech class in high school, the speech and debate class. Okay. Nice. And um, I started having to do these talks in front of people and found that people were laughing at a lot of the things that I was saying. Okay. So what I did the next uh, semester was I was the teacher's assistant for that class. Okay. So that allowed me to stay and do sample speeches for all the younger classes. So I got to experiment a ton. And that's when I started um, kind of writing these thought books and noticing that things were really funny and I would kind of take note of all of them, write them down. And I think that's kind of when everything started to really take shape was in the writing process of the aftermath of doing dumb things. Which, <laughs> which I'm sure was a great experience of practice for you, but it ended up being a professional now where in terms of you knew you had a natural ability to be funny, that you had a natural ability to kind of perform in front of people. So you went ahead and you took that comedy and you put it to paper. And at 15, you started writing these books of thoughts and everything like that. So can you go ahead and tell the listeners a little bit more about these books that you wrote at such an early age? Yes. Um, so I started, I actually started these when I was about 14. I was a student ambassador in Europe. Oh, wow. And, uh, I had worked all summer at four in the morning. I was feeding veal calves on this farm, like this desolate giant farm. I'd go there by myself and I worked all summer these like crazy hours so that I could pay for my trip to go overseas as a student ambassador. Okay. So when I got there, I was the most excited person because I had really, really earned it. Mm -hmm. And, um, we had to keep a journal of our experience there. And a lot of the kids were writing about, you know, buildings and, you know, kind of 
the architecture and kind of boring things, and I was writing about the man I met on the street bench uh, with one arm, or like mm-hmm. the old guy that speaks only Italian that I just thought was super cool. So I was writing about the people. Yeah. And um, at one point, about two weeks into our month-long excursion, our uh, four chaperones collected all of our journals, and they sat down and had a talk with me about mine. They were really upset about the fact that I was talking about people and pranks and, like, funny stuff rather than buildings. And okay. I was, and I made the argument, well, that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in, like, what's going on here rather than the stuff. They ended up, you know, not taking me off the trip because that was almost what happened. Wow. And they, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was like a serious thing. And um, they let me continue writing, and I was writing, you know, these huge stories every night, like 15 pages of detailed information of what everybody did that day. And after that, I decided to keep a notebook on me at all times. And once I hit high school, I realized that a lot of things were really funny and I was meeting a lot of really cool characters so I would you know notate what day it was who I was hanging out with what I thought was funny about this person or the situation I'd write down quotes um, and I called them Natasha's books of thought I would be invited to older kids parties because a lot of the things were a lot of the stories and the quotes were hilarious and people would have me read them and uh, they would drink beers and uh, (laughs) it was a great (laughs) it was a great start to everything because it kind of got me, you know, noticing what things were funny and making sure I took the time to write them down right away before they left my brain. Yeah, so it helped you find your voice. It helped you give you yeah. an opportunity to um, to perform in front of people who are drinking alcohol, which is probably exactly. the main job as a standard comedian. And I would ask, you know, just from a listener perspective, as an ambassador of someone going to Europe at 14, are you ambassadoring like, hey, we listen to Backstreet Boys and we have McDonald's and French fries? Or what exactly were you bringing to Europe to let the to impart on them? other kids around that age essentially what the whole point of it was to try and connect the future of all these different countries and generations and get them to understand each other which is why it was so bizarre to me at that age that they didn't care yeah or weren't understanding about the people because it was the organization was called people to people okay and it was supposed to be about people (laughs) so even when I was 14, I was like, what's wrong with you guys? Why yeah. would I write about a tower when I could write about this like awesome dude that doesn't speak my language, but we still found a way to connect? That so. awesome one-armed dude at the bus stop. See, they didn't know that they were in turn actually bringing an intelligent American female over to go ahead and impart some of the great comedy and uh, and dry <laughs> humor that we have in this country. So really, you were opening the doors for people like myself, people like Larry yeah. David, you know, people in that turn. Sure. You, so you're a... Uh, I mean, yeah. In a way. <laughs> in, a, in a way, you're an innovator. You're an innovator. So you're an innovator. You're born in Wisconsin. And I can tell you from working on many different shows behind the camera, in front of the camera, people from the Midwest are by far the nicest people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. So you're born in Wisconsin. Who are some mm-hmm. mentors, you know, some motivations for someone to want to be a performer in Wisconsin? Did you have any people in particular, any teachers or anything that kind of pushed you? Or was it really just that you realized that you had a talent and you had to go ahead and pursue it? Definitely. I had a lot of my teachers that gravitated towards were both smart and funny. Mm. So that was a huge thing. I had I had really good teachers growing up. But the two that I loved the most were obviously um, my speech teacher, which was Miss Shumate, and then one that I just got beers with last summer and caught up with, Miss um, Durango. She was my um, public uh, performing arts. She, uh, shoot, what was her class called? It was something particular. It was like public, more public speaking. So okay. It was like two public speaking classes Yeah. Um, in language arts and that kind of stuff. And they were just humorous and they enjoyed you know good writing and being articulate but also you know playing pranks on each other and i liked 
the two sides of humor. I, I think it's cool to be like dumb and plastic sometimes, and sometimes yeah. I think it's cool to be very introspective and and <laughs> yeah. have more opinions. And I think you can have there's room for all of it. Absolutely. Um, and as a kid, you I, know, as a kid, when you think you think what fart jokes and poop jokes are what's really intelligent and funny, but then you realize that being smart is actually what it takes for real comedy, right? For getting real exactly. irony and humor and real relevance in terms of it being topical and, uh, well, and interesting. Yeah, and, and realizing that there's a lot of different types of smart mm, and not yeah. everybody's type of smart is going to be your type of smart, but mm-hmm. there are many different ways that someone can be smart and so recognizing that that's an option as well like hey sometimes you can be smart politically and sometimes you can be smart street smart and sometimes you can be book smart and well read and sometimes your smart levels just are puns absolutely find those funny at the time yeah you know it's, it's okay to have all those things involved well, as I tell my girlfriend, I'm not an NBA, but I did win my fantasy football championship last season. So, you know, I have a lot of things going for me in certain ways. It just depends on how you, you look at it. So, um, looking at something really interesting, I think that's Second City, Chicago. So, you found yourself moving to Chicago, joining Second City, one of the most pristine and prestigious acting and, and comedy schools there are out there. You talk about some of the alumni from John Hamm to Tina Fey to many, many more. What was the audition process like for getting into Second City? Uh, well, with the basic classes, uh, it's funny because it's very, very distinct. With the basic classes, anyone can sign up, anyone can get a handle on their improv skills. But then in order to move on to conservatory and the more advanced classes, you, you do have to audition. So in basic classes, you had everything from like a bored dad to like uh, office woman who didn't ever see the light of day and just needed something different. <laughs> And then, and then everyone would go and audition for conservatory. And the fun part of the process is, I remember it so clear as day, like you stand up on stage in a half circle, and basically the directors of Second City pick two people that come out in the front. You may or may not have ever met this person before. Generally, you haven't met them. And they give you a scenario, and you improvise it out. The The thing that scared a lot of people is they were like, well, what are they going to give us, you know? And they would try to anticipate something funny. But the best improv is never anticipatory. It's yeah. always, All and it's it. so freeing to go to an audition. Like, it's so much more fun to go to an audition where you improvise than it is to go to something where you've memorized a side that somebody just gave you and is going to change next week. Yeah. You know, it's so much more fun to go in and not know what's coming, in my opinion, because you can't be prepared, so then you're always prepared. Mm, absolutely. And pe- know, people are always going to be the most funny when they're able to be themselves in a way. Like, they're able to use their yeah. own voice instead of, you. obviously, if you're acting, we'll get into that later on, the difference between in your comfortability between stand-up and acting. But in terms mm-hmm. of, uh, you're always going to be more comfortable and just more excited if you get to do some improv, be yourself, kind of go with the goofy, funny, intricate way you like to do things. And in turn, there's going to be a better performance. Now, would you say that, um, you know, what was it like working with some of these people? I'm sure some of the your classmates, as well as you, are now also successful performers in different parts of the country. Some of the great alumni what was it like being around such other talented individuals like yourself it was so inspiring like the whole area where second city is it's just one big building that all these talented people are constantly coming in and out of it's it, you know kind of how you watch the show 30 rock and you think wow how cool would it be to work yeah. in the snl building and constantly pass by these people i mean that's how i felt every day i was friends with people on the main stage when i was just starting conservatory and i had so much respect for them i made it a point to go and hang out at any show that i wasn't in so i could see what was going on and what was out there and we got to watch the archives a ton so we would 
we would get to see what, you know, all these huge names like Steve Carell and Tina Fey had done at Second City before they left and moved on to do great things in their career. Yeah. And it was just very, very inspiring to walk in every day to the front steps and see the, the mural of everybody's cartoon face on the wall that had made it from there. Nice. You know, it was nice to know that you had the option of starting somewhere in the Midwest, migrating to Chicago, and then, you know, eventually making more and more happen. Yeah, so, so in terms of inspiration, it has to feel good to know that you were good enough to go there, not only graduate, to get accepted, to graduate, and really to call them your peers, right? To be able to call people like that and say, we did the same thing in terms of the education that you got, that must be uh, a bit of an upper, right? It's great, and it's like a brotherhood. Like when you when I first moved to Los Angeles, it was such a relief to know that I had people that I could hit up that I moved here from Second City, whether I knew them well or not. They were Second City peers, and everybody treated each other so well. Yeah, well, I love love that you said that for the networking, because that's something on the theme of the show that I like to bring up, because uh, lucky enough, as I do get to work in the industry, and I get to have people like yourself, very talented, uh, very great people who come on the show and talk about their career, and one thing we talk about is the networking. You know, I I like to think of the show as that maybe someone is, there's a kid in Wisconsin, or there's someone in Bakersfield, where I'm from, or someone in Bangladesh, anywhere, it doesn't fucking matter. Someone is somewhere, and they think, I'd like to try this, and they're getting some insight into this career they wouldn't normally get or understand, they kind of understand that it takes networking it's not just about you know how you look or how you sound it's about how you treat people you know if you work on a movie set as you know for 12 hours a day you need to be able to get along with people and you never know what you're going to work on later on so you're you're inspired you're getting great education as you said you move out from the midwest to the west coast now what were some of the biggest transitions like from coming out to la from being in uh chicago well definitely the midwest is very open and friendly off the bat. Um, When I first moved to Chicago, within a week, I had met people that were just taking me all over the city and showing me, and they were, like, proud of their city. And here in L.A., even though I already knew a ton of people, and I know a lot of very talented, wonderful people, but everyone's so busy trying to make their dreams come true, like, tomorrow. Yeah. So I moved out here, and I was, like, calling people and wanted to go get lunch and people would have a sudden audition or they would have a this or that and you feel you really feel the disparity between you know you feel it, it feels like people are their own entity rather than a unit yeah. sometimes and that was the biggest shocker for me because I was used to having such a support system and people that were constantly around and it changed over time LA didn't stay that way but at first it was definitely a huge shock yeah, so you came um, from a bit. You came from a big place in Chicago, but then you came to an even like you know you, when you're a big uh, fish in a small pond, and then you come to the ocean that is Los Angeles, and yet there's so many people, and yet it's more lonely. You have all these people walking around you, and yet people are very lonely because people just don't know how to connect. They're they're so stressed. I always talk about stressed out. You know, when someone is like a big douche to me in L.A., you know, I, I have had to learn as well. Like if I'm in traffic and I just want to like straight up just explode, blow someone's <laughs> car up. You know, you're in traffic and it's just bad at five o'clock, and you're thinking, where did all these people come from? Why are you here? And you have to realize well i'm one of those people i moved here as well so i just try to i try to you know i I, i'm getting older you know so i try not to stress too much about it i say hey we're all in the same thing we're all just really stressed out and people are stressed out they make dumb decisions you know so coming into la can be really lonely but as you've learned you've kind of you've really started to find your place here correct yeah i mean i think it's just a choice when it comes down to it i mean you can you can be anywhere and find that your job is hard and find that getting work is hard and that getting along with certain people is hard. But if you focus on those things, then all you're going to think of is, oh, this is so hard. But I mean, if, if you take the time to, like for me, networking has always been more than just networking. It's like 
personality networking. If I like somebody and they're really awesome and charismatic and super trustworthy and their talent is just like mediocre but it's getting better and better, that's the person that I'm going to network network with and stay in touch with Mm. over the person who is A-list but an ass. Like, I don't really care about what somebody is doing if they don't approach it in a way that I think I want to approach things. Okay, absolutely. It's such a choice to surround yourself with people that are not only talented, but really hardworking and driven and, like, good people. Mm Mm-hmm. Because yeah. then it makes you like this place. What? You know, if you if you hang out and look for people and they're not your type of people, this place will wear you out and make you into something nobody wants to be. It, it so. will, absolutely. <laughs> make you all jaded and angry. And, um, you know, I yeah. think L.A. is a good example of what it's like to be pretty on the what it's like to be pretty on the outside but ugly on the inside. Obviously, right. not, I'm not using you as an example. Let me people you see walking around like on Sunset, the women who just look so angry. But really, they're just sad. <laughs> they're just sad because they haven't eaten, right? They're really hungry, so they want something to eat, and they're tired of having to fit this image. So speaking of image, you know, being a female comedian, what was, what was it like from going from a place like Chicago where I would think it's not as shallow looks wise it's more just who you are and your talent as opposed to uh-huh. a place in LA because like in acting they say New York is for actually acting and LA is like for pretty right you go to L- you go to New York and you study right. hardcore and LA is for like pretty so what was the transition sure. like from going from the look good men from you know from Wisconsin Chicago just being yourself to the whole look good mentality of LA the equinox the LA fitness you know the um, the wheatgrass shots <laughs> was that a uh, was that a transition because I don't want to make you com- uncomfortable but you are an attractive woman so what was it like bringing that whole part of it because being a female comedian who's funny but then also being attractive is that that's got to be a a complex situation it's it's interesting because I never really you know I never was one of those people that looked at myself and was like oh I want to get somewhere because of some of my face or my physique or something like I never really cared about any of that I always really just like connecting with people in in a more real way so um Moving here, you know, of course, there's all these, there's people that walk around with, like, full faces and makeup, and they do their hair every day, but I, you know, I noticed that I end up getting approached a lot more by people because I I really don't wear makeup, and I just, like, put my hair in a ponytail all the time, and I look like somebody people can talk to, and I like that, and if that hurts me in some ways, I don't really care, because at least (laughs) when it comes down to it, I want to feel like myself, and I want to feel like I'm going out to look good for somebody else of course Mm -hmm. in certain regards you have to amp it up a little bit um but here you know also in order to keep myself balanced I do a lot of physical activity and I do a lot of like martial arts and stuff yeah and so in that regard I feel better than I ever have because I care not about how I look but how my body is functioning and you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when it comes down to it, the one person we all have to please is not other people, but it's the person looking back at you in the mirror, right? It's you have to be happy with yourself and how you feel about yourself and if you could sleep at night. So, you know, ultimately, as you said, you're a more approachable person, which just makes it easier and in turn is going to make people relate with you, which is going to help with your stand up, I'm sure. So you're not going to yeah. be one of those women, as you know, that go to Runyon or Fryman and actually wear makeup to go hiking which just seems oh, like an illogical no. and reasonable thing, <laughs> which is something that happens a lot in LA. So, you know, speaking of you being, you know, you're reasonable, you're approachable. So that makes your stand up a lot more enjoyable. And I've got to watch some of your stand up from being on the, when you were on the NBC, from being at the Laugh Factory, the comedy store, I've got to see some clips on YouTube and whatnot. And we'll get more into your actual websites and things to talk about. So what are some of the best and worst parts of being a stand up comedian? When you're on stage, people are drinking, they're coming to watch you and to laugh and they're saying, hey, be funny for me. What is that yeah. like? What are the best and worst parts? 
parts are getting to, when you get to really connect with people. I mean, the reason that I got into stand-up was because it was a more one-on-one way mm. to tell people what, what my story is and hope that I can find some likenesses in other people because really we all have a lot of similarities and a lot of differences when it comes down to it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, there's of course tons of challenges. Like, you know, I generally am able to save myself from a bad set because I have the improv background so I can derail and talk to the audience. Mm, interesting. Um, but I've had definitely times, uh, where an audience was just not my style. Mm-hmm. Um, like, one of the worst experiences I've had was when I was on the road and I performed in the Bible Belt Uh-oh. and everybody was like 70 plus and like <laughs> couldn't stand me. They didn't get me. They, they hated everything. And it's really hard to keep yourself on stage for 30 minutes in a situation like that. Yeah. <laughs> but you just, you know, you, you take, just like you do with every day, you have to take every performance as its own. And you can't dwell on it once it's done, and you have to just look forward to the next one. So, you know, you just have to let each thing breathe and and be able to laugh about it later. Like, when you bomb, it sucks. It's yeah. so uncomfortable, but it's really funny later. Yeah. And then you can talk about it again, and then people laugh with you about the fact that we're all human, and you're going to definitely, definitely mess up. Well, <laughs> and, I, and I'm sure the times that you do mess up and or bomb, which is going to happen to anyone in any venue or culture or anything, it, it probably makes the great performances and the good audiences even more refreshing, right? And even more oh, just a great that. experience, right? Of course. I mean, and, and there's nothing better than an audience that's really there to pay attention and be in it with you. That's why I love performing back in the Midwest so much. I come back to Chicago or I just was in Chicago and Wisconsin performing and God, I love performing in Madison because people that come to comedy there, they just want to be there. Yeah. You know, sometimes in LA you feel like, oh God, did everybody get like suckered into a tourist trap? Is everybody mm-hmm. here with hating life? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, why? Well, that's a good point because I've had, um, <laughs> I recently had a guest, Rich Redmond. He's the drummer for Jason Aldean. He's played on like six different continents, like 20 number one singles. And one thing he talked about was that in LA, in LA, in America, people are so used to just great entertainment from being comedians like yourself to musicians like that. So they're just like, oh, okay, well, entertain me. You know, let's see what you got. Uh-huh. And as it tells me, you go to a place like Madison or Midwest, there's not as many, there's not as many stand ups, there's not as many musical acts. So people are really excited that you're there to give them some time. So they're really going to be a better audience and really, you know, be into it as opposed to if you come to exactly. LA and people are having dinner and you just happen to be there. So would you say that you do kind of, let's say, tailor your stand-up for your audience, depending on what part of the country you're in? Sure. Yes. I mean, I travel a lot and I love to, and I love to get to know places for what they are. So if I'm in a place that I've been before, like in Madison, I lived there. I grew up not far from there and I lived there for a number of years and had a lot of really hilarious stories that I've never told on stage. So I was opening with those, like, uh, about a drinking ticket that I got and peeing in public when I was drunk and all this all this stuff that people in Madison get all the time because it's a party city and it's like a oh, yeah. college town. Yeah. So when you talk about stuff like that, you know, you open up with that and they're like, oh, she's one of us. Okay, we can relax now. We can relax um, now. And uh, and in general, people like to hear women talk about peeing in public. Is that is that wrong? <laughs> I mean, it, it happens to be pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to be a funny thing. You gotta go, you gotta go. You, you gotta, know, but, it, exactly, you um, gotta go. But a lot of uh, what I've been trying to do lately, you know, and it, like it, like I said before, it really comes down to a choice of what you want to get out of your audience mm-hmm. and what you want to prove to yourself and your peers. Yeah. And to me, I really, I really want to create stuff that people like. And if I feel like I'm plateauing or I haven't created something 
uh, new that I really love in a while, I go on an adventure because mm. that's where you end up coming up with the material. You've got to meet people. You've got to put yourself out there. Let things potentially go wrong. I went on a, uh, I set up and produced my own comedy tour with one of my partners in the fall and we went to the Caribbean and it was the same type of thing. Like people there don't get comedians. Mm. So everyone on every island we went to, so excited. like we were preceded by some radio stations and um, everybody knew that we were there and knew us by the end of the trip and everyone was coming to our shows and it was awesome yeah and it makes it all worth it right it makes it all worth it and you know the sometimes in LA I get especially sometimes just me I'm in this business and I'm like man are you you know is this right? Should you just go to that normal life? But then you have those good days that just remind you of why you're here and why you're doing what you're doing to remind you how much you love it. No matter how hard it is, just reminds you how satisfying it could be when it's good, uh-huh. right? So exactly. I wanted to ask you another thing. Um, you know, I have, I've been lucky enough to have some other stand-up comedians on the show and I want to ask you, how do you, how do you handle a heckler? You know, cause, <laughs> cause I'm sure just, there's probably some men that get stu- female or men that get stupid. And, uh, obviously people are going to say different things, whether it's a female comic or a male comic. So I'm wondering like, how do you deal with you know a douchey guy who's giving you uh you know problems on stage or a woman who's just maybe she's a little jealous that you're so good at what you're doing like how do you how do you deal with a heckler god it's so different in every situation um i think the most memorable hecklers i've had have been in las vegas because that seems to be a city where everybody wants to be part of a show Mm, that makes sense and everyone's drinking and having a good time i try to remember whether someone's heckling or they're being asked to me in a starbucks line i'm like something in their day happened yeah to make them need to do this yeah so i try to figure it out while they're on the spot okay that makes sense so i i try to think okay are they here with four dudes Maybe it's a bachelor party. Yeah. Maybe this guy's been through, like, and you just try to dissect it and figure out who they are and do it in a funny, upbeat way. Because I would never come at a heckler and be like, you know, F you, dude, get over, you know, leave it. And, like, I just, you just can't do that because yeah. <laughs> it just makes things so much worse. So you have to try to find a way, me, I have to try to find a way to get everyone that's sitting around that person to laugh at that person and get, you know, come against them in, in like, a way that a friend would. Yeah. Like, oh, bro, what are you doing, buddy? Like, what, sh- shut up, leave her alone. Yeah. Like, if you're, if they're, if they're friends, start rooting for you and telling them to shut up. You're doing it You're right. in a good position. Yeah, you're doing so, it right. And speaking of friendship and speaking of things I like to tell friends, and I like to consider you a a friend over the phone right now on the What The Falk Show. You listen to What The Falk Show on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Sponsor the What The Falk Show, Ferris Pizza, the best pizza for the best price in Bakersfield, California. Now, I I know you don't like kale, Natasha, but are you a fan of pizza? Yes. Okay, well, you definitely need to check out some spicy pizza or some pizza from Ferris if you're ever in Bakersfield, California. There's some good stand-up there, so you need to check that out. Now, you've talked about performing in Madison, in Chicago, and L.A. So what are some of the bigger venues and some of the bigger stages that you've been on and uh, where some make you more nervous than others? Or maybe what's the most nervous you've been? And overall, I just kind of want to get a feel for the different places you've uh, you've performed. Um, I think the biggest that I've ever played was maybe like 300. I've done a couple really big shows in Canada and New York. Um, yeah, I'd say like three or three or 350 has been the biggest. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually get nervous when it's a really small crowd. Okay. I don't get nervous for big crowds because I know that there's just so many more bodies and brains and voices out there yeah. and that I will find a way to make this work as a unit. I don't really get nervous bad anymore, but I remember doing a show in um, the South a couple years ago and there was only like 30 people in an audience that could contain 100. So wow. a tiny show like that in a, in a place that you've never been to and that people really maybe can't relate to you in. I think it was in Chattanooga. Yeah. Um, that one was 
really nerve-wracking for me because I just felt like I was anticipating these people hating me. And it ended up working out just fine. Yeah. But I ended up having to do a lot of local local material and crowd work and just figure out a way to speak to them. It, you know, that's really what is the only way to combat those type of nerves is educate yourself about where you are. Yeah. <laughs> to know what you're doing, um, to make it more relevant yeah, for them. And they're going to, totally. they're going to in turn, as you said, as the people in Madison do like, Hey, she's one of us, which is what you're exactly. hoping the people in Chattanooga are going to do. And speaking of you being one of us, which I think I, I mean, I would like to see some of your standup, especially. So I would say, what are some upcoming projects, performances that we can look forward to for NPH? Is it okay to call you NPH or do you go Natasha yeah, Pearl Hansen? Yeah. Yeah, everybody calls me that. Um, I have, well, I'm doing Comedy Union this weekend, which is one of my favorite, oddly, it's one of my favorite clubs. I know it's not one of the big three, but it's always such a good audience. Uh, next weekend, I'm I'm performing at Madhouse in San Diego, and then I'm actually taking a five-day break and going to Mexico and oh. doing an all-inclusive with my best friend because we haven't done a vacation in like seven years. Yeah. And um, then I come right back and land and go to feature at the Comedy Palace in San Diego. Oh, awesome. Okay. And um, working on a bunch of pitches and shows right now. I just shot a pilot this last weekend called To Live and Get By in LA. So that's going to be coming out in a couple weeks. So just a, a mix of a lot of stand-up and shooting. I try to keep a really healthy balance of all things comedy. <laughs> just really, really busy from San Diego to Mexico and also you working on camera as an actress. So just a little bit, let me yeah. ask you, what is the difference like between really, I'd say, being naturally funny and comedic on stage, just being you as opposed to you having to be a character and act funny? What is that like? Right. Um, that was something that I had to really fall into um, when I moved out here because you're used to, when you're doing sketch comedy, you're used to taking a very big, very specific, uh, charactery character and making that funny because it's so kind of ridiculous. And then when I moved here, I realized that when you're creating a character out that is believable, it's got to be based in something that is you. No matter what, no matter what the character is, whether it's a character you created or a character you're auditioning for that somebody else created, unless you bring a little bit of you into that character, it's not unique. It's just you saying words that anybody else could say. Yeah. In the same style, anyone else could do it. Yeah. So you have to bring a little bit of you to it. That's the only way things are real, and it makes you stand out. Yeah. So, you know, a couple of years ago, I felt like I really started being comfortable with being the, me, the most me version of any character while still being that character. And... That's how I've really fallen into creating some of my favorite characters in the last couple of years for the shows that I'm working on. So, um, yeah, I mean, when you see when you see any character that you love in comedy, their stakes are just so high. Yeah. So everything matters the most to them. So I think, okay, how would I how would I react to this? How would that person react to this? Well, what if what if my life depended on this thing? Yeah. How would we react to it then? And then you know you just try to do the best you can with everything. But it's just fun, you know. It's, it's fun to be able to play somebody on stage. I'm very much a hundred percent myself, and I tell very honest stories. Mm-hmm. So it's so fun to be able to step out of that and play somebody that couldn't be further from me. But still be me. Yeah. You know? Be you in a way. <laughs> well, I think fun is a great like is a great word overall for this interview. It's been fun having you on the show. You're obviously fun to listen to. You're fun to see in your stand up. And I think it would be a great, most definitely a fun time to get the opportunity for new people who haven't seen your stand up. Any listeners out there to go ahead and check you out. Upcoming on the San Diego, upcoming in Mexico, upcoming anywhere on YouTube. Let's go ahead and talk about where we can find you on social media. I know you're on Twitter. I know you're on Facebook. Where can listeners go ahead and find more about MPH? Um, I always post 
post about my shows on Twitter, and that'll go to my Facebook. Um, I do post some of the bigger shows that have, like, cool posters and whatnot. I yeah. put those on Instagram, obviously. <laughs> but I uh, I mainly just try to keep updated on social media because a lot of people don't. I found after I was tracking websites and whatnot, people don't really go to your website to see a schedule. They'd rather see you posting about it. Yeah. So, you know, I definitely, um, I use this thing called Buffer. I don't know if you've heard of Buffer. I haven't. What's that? Um, Buffer is like you can schedule tweets for like 10 days in advance. Oh, that makes sense. So if, okay. if I have a show coming up, you know, I'll take a couple random days to start telling people that it's coming up. And then that way, you know, I never forget to let people know that something's coming up so they have time to buy tickets. So I'm really, really good on Twitter. So you can find me at NPH Comedy on Twitter, Instagram, everything. I'm at NPH Comedy, Snapchat, whatever, whatever you do. Whatever you <laughs> I'm do. On it. You're you're good at social media, is what you're saying. You're pretty good. You're like at a gold star for social media, I would say. Thank you. A gold star. That's that's how you and I connected. And again, I appreciate you having you on the show. And here we get to the last part of the interview. I'm going to give you some rapid fire questions. Um, so you can't you can't really prepare for them. You just have to say the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. 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 First okay. question: Who plays you in a movie? Let's say that you're too old or that you're just too busy. Who plays MPH in a movie? Lake Bell. Lake Bell. Okay. Lake Bell. She's really nice. I got to meet her on the set. I I love everything about her career. She creates stuff. She produces. She's super funny. Yeah. Smart. I love her. You saw In a World, the one she directed and wrote. That was a great Uh movie. Yeah. So like, anyway, so Lake Bell plays you in a movie. Now, number two, would you rather have a ninja, uh, a pet ninja monkey who speaks or a dragon? Absolutely ninja monkey who speaks. Absolutely ninja monkey who speaks. I love ninjas and monkeys the most. Okay. ninjas are my favorite thing. Now, <laughs> n- number three, if you're a zombie, what is the first thing you eat on somebody? Is it the brains? Is it the arm? Is it the chest? Is it the butt? What do you eat if you're a zombie on somebody? Neck. The neck. Okay, you get right into it. You add some little vampire stuff into there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and number four, what is the weirdest combo, like food combo that you like to eat? If you're not a zombie and you're not eating a neck, what is the weirdest food combo that MPH kind of puts together when she's uh, bored at home? Okay, I eat this a lot, so it's definitely honest. Um, Bananas and avocado. Okay, okay. They're both mushy and it's cool together. (laughs) It's cool together, absolutely. Well, Natasha Prohenson, MPH, I really appreciate you coming on the What the Folk Show. You've been a great guest. I appreciate you taking the time. And this is the moment where you can go ahead and say goodbye to the listeners or any kind of wisdom or words you want to give them. I would like to impart on everybody just really enjoy the shit out of everything that you do because if it isn't fun at the moment it's not worth doing absolutely well that's some great wisdom from mph i like it (laughs) (laughs) so thank you for having me i appreciate it yeah of course. It's been so fun. It has, and I really appreciate you taking the time. I will, of course, have all your information and everything on the link for the show. You go ahead and tell your friends and family or even some random... I know you have that joke where you talk about um, that you married a homeless man or that you started dating a homeless man. So if you find a homeless man, if you see that guy on the on the bus stop again with one arm, please let him know about the What the Falk Show. Be like, hey, why the Falk are you not listening? Why the Falk not? It's the What the Falk Show on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Natasha, I appreciate you coming on, and I'm sure I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much for having me. Have you, a good night. You too. Bye. That's Natasha Pearl Henson, stand-up comedian, actress, overall just an amazing personality as you can tell she's very intelligent she's incredibly pretty she's incredibly cool she's very entertaining you can check her out coming up soon in san diego and mexico she also performs here in los angeles she acts as well you can see her in many different things and i know you're going to enjoy some time with her i appreciate you taking the time listening to what the fog show available as i said soundcloud itunes pod directory stitcher basically as many places i can get them to listen is where it's going to be next week we have another guest either a stand-up comedian actress entertainment musician 
producer, director, an athlete, literally whatever I can do to find someone to come on the show, give some insight and some point of view into the career that they have, and maybe make your day a little bit less boring, maybe a little bit more, let's add a little bit more Falcon Spice to it. So maybe you're at work and you're bored. Maybe you're playing a video game and you want to listen to something. Maybe you're in some shitty Falcon LA traffic and you're thinking, I'd like to hear some people tell me about something in an interesting, informational, and witty way. I appreciate you listening, and I'll talk to you next week.